All right, let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, we thank you, God, for your word. We thank you, uh, God, for your spirit. God, we thank you that you, uh, you speak. And so, God, we pray that you would, as always, help us to hear, God, your voice. You'd help us, uh, God, to grow in your son, Jesus. God, you'd help us to uh, be in more awe, God, of uh, who you are and what you've done. And God, as we uh, continue talking about uh, dealing with difficult people, we pray, uh, God, you continue to give us insight into uh, our relational worlds. Uh, God, that you've called us not just to love you, but you've called us to love people. And, um, and God, so God, I pray that you would give us wisdom over each of our relationships, especially, God, those difficult ones. Uh, God, that you would be speaking to us through this message, God, and how we can take what we learned from you today and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, uh, we are continuing in our series uh, called Dealing with Difficult People. And uh, this is the third message in the series. I think we've got one more next week. And we all know what it's like to have difficult people in, in our lives. Uh, if there's not a difficult person in your life right now, then there probably has been or there will be. Uh, it's because you're a sinner, I'm a sinner, uh, you're selfish, I'm selfish, and you put two of those people together, it's just, there's conflict. And, uh, and sometimes relationships can be extremely difficult. Uh, maybe that difficult person for you today is your neighbor. I mean, you have issues with your neighbor, or uh, maybe it's your in-laws, or, you know, the mother-in-law, or whatever they say it always is. Uh, maybe it's your spouse. Maybe you just Find your spouse to be an extremely difficult person to get along with. Uh, maybe it's someone else in church. Uh, maybe it's me. I don't know. Uh, but we know what it's like to have difficult people around. And we're called to be people who walk maturely, as Christ followers, to walk maturely even in difficult relationships. And so this is what we've been, we've been talking through. And just to review a little bit. Uh, we talked about wrong ways to respond to conflict, wrong ways to respond to difficult people. And usually one of these four is what we tend to want to do because we just kind of think it's easier. And that is we avoid the conflict. Uh, we may still talk to that person, they may still talk to you, but everyone knows there's this huge elephant in the room, but you just kind of refuse to talk about it. You sweep it under the carpet, you pretend it's not there, and for days or months or years, there can be this underlying issue that no one's dealing with because everyone is just avoiding it. And even if you sweep stuff under the carpet, uh, it's still there, and it will still affect the quality of a relationship. Other times, we run from it uh, because dealing with conflict in the right way is hard sometimes, and so we think it's easier, well, I'll just get a new friend. Because that friend's being difficult. That's just the easy. I'll just run from whoever is calling me difficult. I'll just get a new spouse or I'll find a new church. Or I'll just find a new place to hang out because I'm just going to run from the conflict. Uh, we're not called to avoid or run from conflict. Sometimes we, we just stuff it in. And this tends to be the, perhaps the most common way uh, we deal with conflict in our, in our culture here. It's kind of the passive-aggressive approach where you stuff that conflict and you get bitter and you get anger and you probably put on a little pity party and you pout hoping the other person will see you and say, oh, what's wrong? And we stuff it in and usually you stuff it until you get to the fourth stage and that is you negatively express it. You've built up all this anger, frustration, and a lot of times the person doesn't even know you're angry with them. 
And all of a sudden, you get, it just comes out, and you're angry, and you're bitter, and you negatively express it. And we've been talking through that there's a, a better way to deal with difficult people. There's a better way to deal with conflict than avoiding it, running from it, stuffing it, or negatively expressing it. It's called speaking the truth in love. And that's what we've been talking through. And today, we finally get to actually talking about speaking the truth in love, having a conversation with that difficult person. Because we've talked about listening, we've talked about uh, looking at what our part is, and we talked about maybe you're just getting too easily offended because in our culture we're very easily offended when we perhaps shouldn't be. So today we're going to talk about the conversation. And uh, this isn't a point, but just overarching this whole thing is that you better be walking in intimacy with Jesus. That this is just a given, that you are someone who is close to Jesus, walking with Jesus, because in him is found all the wisdom in the universe. And when it comes to having a conversation with somebody, you need to be walking with close to Jesus, and you need to be praying over it, uh, deeply in prayer over the situation. So those things are just a given, but here's the way it's got to work. When it comes to a difficult person, when it comes to a conflict, whether that's a, a minor or a major conflict, this is where it begins with us freaking out, right? And this is what we usually do. We freak out. And, and it doesn't matter how big or strong or buff you are. I mean, you can be the most burly guy when the wife says, we need to talk. We just freak out, right? I mean, conflict scares us. And again, this is why uh, we tend to stuff it or avoid it or run from it because trying to engage with a difficult person or a conflict situation in a mature way, it can be really hard. But just because it's hard doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. In fact, it's the right thing to do. And it takes courage. But this is what God is asking us to do in order to walk in a mature way in in this relational world is to be able to say, look, I'm going to have a conversation with this person. And it's really important to note that it is always more rewarding and maturing to resolve a conflict than to end a relationship. It is always more rewarding than maturing to resolve a conflict than to end a relationship. We always think that the easy way out is just to end the relationship or to, to stuff it or just to avoid it. There's nothing that will be more rewarding than for you, for you to work through that. Often when a relationship works through something difficult, it raises it to a higher level. There's more intimacy, there's more vulnerability, there's just more power in the relationship. And there's nothing more maturing than working through conflict. And this is the problem with running from every conflict that you face or just avoiding it is because every time you run or stuff it or avoid it, you are missing out on an opportunity to grow. I mean, one of the things that has grown me so much in my life is just facing conflict and trying to deal with it because you learn things. It humbles you. You you learn, oh, I didn't respond right there. Next time I need to be more mature. I need to be praying more. It matures you so much. So don't run from an opportunity to grow. Every difficult person, every conflict situation you face is an amazing opportunity to become more mature in your relationship with God. So here's the process. Uh, First, you need to make the first move, and you need to make it ASAP, ASAP. You actually need to make the first move. Uh, Romans 12, we've talked about this verse some, It says, if it is possible, again, it's not always going to be possible to have a perfect relationship, but if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Paul says, 
as far as it depends on you. Often we're like, well, they're the ones who hurt me. They need to come to me. They're the more mature Christian. They need to come to me. They seem to have their leader. They're better. They should, they should be the ones to come to me. But the Bible actually says you are to make the first move. It doesn't matter whose fault. It doesn't matter who's more mature. It doesn't matter. You are to make the first move. In fact, it's very clear in a couple of other passages. Matthew 18. If another believer sins against you, so someone has hurt you, someone has sinned against you, someone is being difficult, it says go. It doesn't say to wait for that person to come to you. It says go. You are to make the first move. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. So if someone sins against you, you are to make the first move. On the other hand, if you're the one who has sinned and hurt someone, again, you're actually supposed to make the first move. In Matthew 5, it says, if you are offering your gift at the altar, so this is under the temple system, when you go to the temple to worship God and offer your sacrifice, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. So this is where you've hurt somebody. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. Go uh, First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer, offer your gift. So it doesn't matter if you're at fault or they're at fault. You're to make the first move. As far as it depends on you, you are to make the first move. And what happens is often in a difficult relationship or a situation, each party is kind of goes into the position and they're waiting for the other person to make the first move. And they're hoping often, if that would just come and please talk to me. And, 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 and that's, that's, it's, that's not a Jesus way to do it. The Jesus way to do it is for you to make the first move. And usually what keeps us from making the first move, it's two things. One is fear. Uh, because, again, dealing with conflict is a scary thing. But this is where we need to, to learn to live in the love of the Father. Where the Bible says perfect love casts out fear and that we are perfectly loved by God and that frees us up to make the first move and to talk. And the second reason we don't make the first move is, is and this is usually the reason, is pride. Uh, there's always pride behind this because it is a humbling thing to make the first move. It's almost like I might be admitting that it's my mistake if I make the first move. It's, it's a prideful thing that keeps us. It's a prideful thing when you say, well, they need to make the first move because it's like you're up on the throne and I want them to come to me in my throne and to admit that they're wrong. And it's, it's all fear and it's all pride. And that stuff is to be not a part of us. And so you're to make the first move. And one of the big reasons you're to make the first move as well is sometimes that other person doesn't even know you're mad at them. <laughs> You've had this. I've definitely had this as a pastor where people are ticked at me or at you and they're, they're bitter and they've been like that for like, weeks or months and they finally come and talk to you. You're like, I actually had no idea. And they might have been waiting for me to show up or you to show up and yet you're not going to show up because you don't even know. And so you are to make the first move. And you're to do this as soon as you can. Ephesians 4 says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. And you do this as soon as you can. Or our text that we already looked at in Matthew 5, uh, it's when, when, when you have sinned against someone, it says settle, settle matters quickly with your adversary. And so you're to make the first move, and you're to do it 
as soon as you can. Again, this protects you from becoming more and more bitter. Because a lot of times what happens if you wait longer, the longer you wait, and this is just naturally how our minds work, that if, if someone like hurts our pride or wrongs us, we will naturally just want to pick out every negative thing about that person's life. You will naturally just begin to focus on every mistake they've made. And the longer you wait, the more negativity you get about the person, the more dirt you'll, you start looking on their Facebook, you'll start looking around, I gotta find something more so I can justify why I'm angry at them. The quicker you deal with it, uh, the less you're gonna judge, the less you're gonna assume. The, the, I mean, you just, it's just helpful all the way around. So make the first move and make it as soon as you can. This is not something you can just leave for months or years, walking around in bitterness or anger uh, towards somebody. I mean, First John says, whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command that anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Even if that person is an extremely difficult person, even an enemy, God says we are to love our enemies. And so there's just something wrong if you're like, I'm good with you, God, and everything's wonderful and great, and yet there's this conflict that you are just not dealing with. Make the first move and do it as quickly as possible. And you know what? That takes courage. And the only way that actually happens is if we are willing to let go of our pride and trust in what God is doing. Secondly, you want to meet one-on-one. Don't gossip or make assumptions. Matthew 18 says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. The Bible says that if there's a difficulty or conflict, just one-on-one you are to meet. Now, there may be cases where you need to just jump right to step two. And that is if the condition is like, it's a really severe situation where there's a lot of bitterness and anger. You might both agree to have a mediator. Uh, or if the, the matter is more public. Sometimes in the Bible you see people not doing that first step, just you know, doing it with people who are involved in the situation. But most of the time, you want to meet one-on-one. Don't gossip. Don't make assumptions. Meet with the person one-on-one. If you don't meet with them one-on-one, I mean, and usually this is the way we work, and we know this, that when someone hurts us, or there's a difficult person, we tend to go tell everybody else, except for talking to the person that we're supposed to talk to. Uh, and we begin to gossip. Gossip is sharing information with someone, someone who is not a part of the solution or the problem. And we go on Facebook or your phone or you talk to your friend, you know what so-and-so did to me? You'd never believe what they did to me. Or you know what Pastor Jesse did or someone did or someone. And you go talk to them and, and you, just, you just tell everybody else except for the person you're supposed to be talking to. Gossip is extremely dangerous and deadly. It's not to be on our lips, especially when it comes to conflict. I mean, if you have not dealt with it with that person, don't go blabbing around. And if someone comes to you and says, you know what so-and-so did, and if they haven't talked to that person, just say, I, you know, you need to go talk to that person. Proverbs 17, 9 says, whoever would foster love covers an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. When someone hurts you, initially you want to cover their offense in the sense of, 
I'm not going to go blab it to others. I want to cover it just between the two of us until we deal with it, until I hear your side of the issue. I'm going to keep it covered between us so we can work it out. Because if I go gossip, I probably have another idea of what really happened when it didn't happen. I mean, if you love people, you keep it between the two of you and try to work it out. And if you can't work it out, then you can invite others in. Proverbs 6 says, there are six things the Lord hates. And you know what one of those things is? A person who stirs up conflict in the community. And most of the time this happens through gossip. Do you know what so-and-so did? You, could you believe what that person's reading or listening? Can you, and they're making all these gossip and assumption, and they've never talked to the person. God hates that. He hates conflict in the community because he loves people. And so meet one-on-one. Don't gossip. Don't make assumptions. Uh, one person said this. If others tell us something, we make assumptions. And if they don't tell us something, we make assumptions to fulfill our need to know and to replace the need to communicate. Even if we hear something and we don't understand, we make assumptions about what it means and then believe the assumptions. We make all sorts of assumptions because we don't have the courage to ask questions. Again, this is a pride issue. This is a fear issue. Because you're afraid to talk to that person you just make all these assumptions because somehow it kind of helps your identity because you feel good when you gossip. It just, you just, people make assumptions and it is devastating. I mean, you know stories of how gossip and assumption has hurt people, has hurt you. I mean, I know that. I mean, I see it as a pastor that how assumptions can get out of control when there's never been a, a conversation in the first place. And in fact, one of the craziest stories I heard, and it's actually a true story, it was a while ago, even before cell phones were too popular, but this happened to a youth pastor. A youth pastor was driving down the street in his city, and uh, he needed to make a phone call because he didn't have a cell phone, and he sees a phone booth. He pulls over, he gets out, he goes to the phone booth, and as he's about to put the coin in to the telephone, it falls out and begins to roll towards this door, and he goes walking towards this door. He didn't know it was, it was the door of, a, of an X-rated theater. And as he's walking towards the door to grab this cone, uh, it just so happened that an elder of a church drives by, sees him walking towards this door. He doesn't stop. He just keeps going. And he gets home. He phones up all the other elders. You know, I saw a youth pastor going into an X-rated theater, and then all the wives find out, and then it goes around the church. And like a week later, this youth pastor is like, why? Where'd all the kids go? Why is no one coming to my youth group? Finally, the, an elder comes and talks to him about this, and they're just like, oh, huge assumption. They just realized they're wrong. But at that point, it was too late. Uh, he, he had to leave the church. I mean, you know the old saying that if you assume something, it makes an ass out of you and me. It does. It, it ruins what you think. You ruin the reputation of the person. I mean, it is just an awful, awful thing to assume. The only way you can get away from assuming things is to go talk with that person. You go talk to him. Say, you know, I thought I saw this, or I thought I heard this, or I heard this, or, you know, I saw whatever, and, and you just, you know, I did this. <clears throat> I remember early on in my ministry, when I first started preaching, there was this guy who was sitting out there, and whenever he'd listen to my sermon, he was always just, he just had this face like this, and I thought he hated me and hated my sermons, and, and because I was super, like, you know, like, uh, just didn't have my identity very set in Christ, and it was very timid. I, would, I didn't want to talk to him because I thought he hated me. Finally, I went and talked to him, and he was the nicest guy, and he, he loved my messages. He just listened to them funny. I mean, it's just, 
we can assume all kinds of things. Most conflict or difficult situations, there's a lot of assumptions going on. And then you take that assumption and you go gossip and then that person's assuming things and all of a sudden there's this huge group of people assuming all this stuff and it's maybe only a third right or based on a partial truth. So you got to talk to the person one-on-one. If someone else comes and talks to you, gossip, just say, hey, you got to go talk to that person. Don't talk. You got to do that. God hates people or, or hates it when conflict is uh, rising in the community. James chapter 1, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Is worthless. You don't think you're all spiritual and close to Jesus and everything's wonderful if you're a gossip, if you're assuming all kinds of things about someone or a situation and, and you're not talking to the person. And so you need to meet one-on-one don't gossip or make assumptions. And then you need to acknowledge your part. And we've talked about this, so we're just going to go through it quick. Uh, Proverbs 13 says, where there is strife, there is pride. Often the reason we're hurt is because our pride was hurt. And we talked about this last week. Often the reason someone is difficult or we're not getting along is because they actually just hurt our pride. And often our pride is very weak, and when it gets hurt, we just get angry at them. So you got to always check your pride. Is this, is this a pride issue? Am I getting too easily offended? Is it just my pride been hurt? And if it has, you got to acknowledge that. Or James 4, we looked at this last week again. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Well, it's that person. It's my wife. It's my spouse. It's my neighbor. They're the ones who caused the fight and quarrel. If they would just listen to me, everything would be fine. If they just, you know, stopped it, then everything would be great. What causes fights and quarrels among you? James says, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. That's to kill the relationship. You covet, but cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. In other words, you got to ask the question, what is it that you want and not, aren't getting? Often they're a difficult person because there's something you're wanting from them that you're not getting, whether it's respect or recognition or some sort of identity issue or whatever it might be. Again, we need to acknowledge our part. And even if it's 99% the other person's fault, when you meet one-on-one with that person, it's always best to start with, you know, I'm sorry that, you know, I was really offended when you said that. Or, you know, I responded in the wrong way. Just start with your part. I mean, it really uh, sets a good tone to the conversation. We talked about this in the first message. You got to listen. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Uh, Fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. I mean, usually we just want to get them. I want to show them why my opinion's right and they're wrong, and, and we just want to blah over them. No, you, you go walk humbly. You admit. You listen. You ask questions to make sure you're not assuming things. Because if you start tacking your assumption, you're probably going to be tacking, tackling the wrong issue. Uh, Janet Dunn said, good listening often diffuses the emotions that are part of the problem being discussed. Sometimes releasing these emotions is all that is needed to solve the problem. A lot of conflict is actually more emotional-based than actually factual or issue-based. you got to diffuse some of the emotion before you talk of the issue. And you do that by listening. 
So, I mean, how do you see this? I mean, how does this make you feel? This is how I see it. Is that right or is that wrong? Am I getting it? Am I seeing this wrong? To really try to understand. So, I mean, when sometimes someone gets to share while they're frustrated, it brings the emotional level down, and then you can actually have a real conversation. But we talked about that in our first message. And then it's your turn. You're going to speak the truth in love. You've initiated the conversation. You've uh, listened, you've admitted your part, and then you're going to speak the truth in love. Proverbs 12 says, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. There's two ways you can tell that person that you're frustrated. You can tell it in a very reckless way or in a very wise way. Truth without love is often rejected. Truth with love is often received. I mean, you can try to tell the truth, but if it's without love, you're fuming angerness and bitterness and blame, they're just going to shut right down, and you've lost. It doesn't matter if you win the argument, you've just lost. Just because you won in, in, a, in a conflict, it, mean, it usually just means you've lost if it's truth without love, but truth with love is often received. I think it's Rick Warren who always talks about this, truth and love. That it's, it's, it's a truth burrito. The truth always needs to be wrapped in love. That you never hand someone truth without it being wrapped in love. Because if you hand truth without it being wrapped in love, they will just become defensive. You just, you just shut down the conversation. You give it to them wrapped in love, well, that, that is Christ-like. That is speaking the truth in love. I mean, 1 Corinthians 13 says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. And if you try to speak the truth without love, you've gained nothing. You've just gone backwards. Never hand out that truth without it being wrapped in love. And you are to be honest. I mean, if someone's hurt you, be honest about it. We as Christians aren't called to be people who let everybody walk over us. So next week we're going to talk about actually having boundaries because sometimes we need to have boundaries with people who are, who are very toxic, and we'll talk about toxic people next week. Uh, but truth must be spoken in love. And so in our conversations, there are just certain emotions and words that are just off limits. I mean, like in wars, I mean, there's, there's like just war and there's certain weapons you're not allowed to use in a conflict. There's just certain things that as Christ followers we're not allowed to use because we want to wrap our truth in love. Like Colossians 3.8. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Ephesians 4, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building, uh, building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. That even when you're confronting some, the only things that should come out of your mouth are those that are going to be beneficial to the conversation. You must speak truth in love. That's a truth burrito wrapped in love. Uh, you want to watch your tone and speak humbly. Proverbs 15. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I mean, there are two ways you can have a conversation. 
you can come into it full of anger, rage, and you yell and you scream and you try to win the argument. Again, it doesn't matter if you won, you just lost. Or you can come with truth burrito wrapped in love and be calm. And you can say the very same thing that I was hurt. This really took me for a loop or whatever. I'm really wondering why you did that. And you can uh, turn away wrath. You listen, I mean, it just brings everything down. Galatians 6.1 says, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself or you also may be tempted because they might not always respond back gently. And that's when your pride gets hurt. And that's what you just want to get them. And you, you get inflamed. You, you got to keep it low. You got to keep it humble. You got to keep your tone down. And you want to focus on reconciling the relationship, not on a resolution. Matthew 5, first go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. And this is super important, that often when there's a conflict or a difficult person, the two people get together and say, we need to fix this conflict. We need to resolve this issue. There are some times when you will never resolve the issue. There are some times when you will never agree, but you can still be reconciled. If you come together trying to focus on reconciliation, you may not still agree, but you can still have a relationship. If you come together thinking you have to agree on everything and you don't agree, then the relationship is broken. i got to focus on the relationship. And this is working even in the most difficult cases. I had a friend who just came back from Israel and Palestine who is working with uh, Israeli and Palestinian Christians. And... There is no probably people on this planet who have a greater disagreement than a Palestinian Christian and Israeli Christian. But they're, what they're doing is taking Israeli Christians and Palestinian Christians, getting them together around a table, and they're listening to each other. Their stories, their fears, what they have gone through, what they have been working through. And their stories start like this. Their opinions start like this. In the end, they actually can never fully agree. But their stories and their Uh, opinions get this close where Christ can actually be a bridge between them. They're reconciled, but they don't necessarily agree. And this this will happen. I mean, people who have different theological beliefs on non-essential issues, you'll probably never agree with them. But you can still give and receive love. You can still walk in humility and still be reconciled with that person. Uh, There may be an issue in your marriage that you're never fully going to agree on but you can still be reconciled and give and receive love towards each other even though you may never agree. If you only come thinking, I gotta solve this conflict, we gotta solve this issue, you're never actually gonna, it's gonna be really hard to reconcile. So just focus on trying to build the relationship, hear each other and work towards it in a way that you can give and receive love with that person even though you may not agree. Now what if they don't respond well? Uh, what if they get angry back? What if they just shut you down? What if they just walk out of the room? What if they just, they don't respond well? And you try time and time again, and they still don't respond. We're going to talk about this next week. But you got to just be aware that just because you do everything right doesn't mean they will. They might not even respond. There are what the Bible calls fools or toxic people or mockers. Proverbs 9 says, whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. And then it says this, do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. 
Instruct the wise, and they'll be wiser still. And this is one of the ways, if you know if you're maturing in Jesus or not. And that is, are you able to handle it when someone says, look, I need to talk? If you're like, okay, let's, let's talk, and, and, and you're willing to listen and not get angry, it shows you're really growing in Jesus. But if you just get defensive and blame, and I don't want to talk, and just, ru- I mean, you got some work to do. Uh, not everybody is going to respond well, but that's, that's on them. That's not on you. If it's possible on your part to do everything to live at peace with them, they may not always respond. And then uh, lastly here, I think it's uh, last minute is one more point. Always start one the other is. Uh, always take the high ground. You just got to do the right thing. You start talking. They start blaming you. You take the high ground. You don't blame back. You start talking calmly. They get angry. You take the high ground. You don't get angry back. They start fuming bitterness. You got to take the high ground. You don't get bitter back. You just do the right thing. No matter what they're doing or what they're saying or how they're responding, you just got to do the right thing. In fact, just a little melody of Romans 12 because it's all, all about conflict and relationships. Love must be sincere. Honor one another above yourselves. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Do not be proud. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge. You just take the high ground. And you just, before you go into the conversation, sometimes I do this when I have a difficult conversation, I'll say, God, just let me take the high ground. Let me live like you, God. Just let me keep my cool, and God, may I be a representative of you. And just, just speaking the truth in love. And, just, and no matter, because, I mean, in those situations, you just emotion certain. You start shaking sometimes, and, and you just want to blow up or get mad. You just, you just got to do what's right. You got to take the high ground. And then you don't want to wait for a Paul. You just want to forgive them. Sometimes you share the truth in love, and they don't care. Some are like, well, it sucks to be you or whatever. I mean, they just want to listen. Just don't walk away in bitterness and I'm so bitter at the person. I got to wait for them to apologize. You, you forgive them. Uh, uh, Ephesians 4 says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate. Again, you take the high ground to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you you. You forgive them. Doesn't mean you got to be their, your best friend. Doesn't mean that you still got to hang around them all the time, but you got to forgive them. I mean, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping that person is going to die, right? I mean, you're, you're just hoping that somehow this is going to make them really, it's just hurting you. And so you, you forgive them. And then maybe you try to have another conversation if you can, if it didn't work out. And lastly, you just got to understand, you know, this is ministry, Trying to reconcile relationships, it's, it's ministry. It's Christ-like. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That our ministry, our work, our calling in this life is to work to help people be reconciled to God and reconciled to each other. Uh, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that we are to be called, he said, blessed are the peacemakers. And that starts in your own home. That starts in your own workplace. That starts in your own sphere with people who are difficult by saying, you know what, I need to make this right. 
Because I can't keep pretending that I'm all good and great with God when there are serious issues with people. And you've got to try. Again, it may not be possible to have peace in the relationship, but if you try and it still doesn't work out, you can still in the end have peace about the relationship because you did the right thing. Next week, we're going to talk about setting up boundaries because there are some people you can engage in this process and they just fight back and every time you want to try to resolve the, the conflict, it just gets more and more toxic. There is a place where we can say no. There is a place to say, you know what? I can't hang around you anymore like I used to. There is a place for boundaries. There is a lot in the Proverbs about dealing with extremely difficult or toxic people and we're going to talk about that next week. So I invite the worship team up as I pray. God, we, we thank you that you are a reconciling God. That even though we were still enemies, you came and you sent your son Jesus to die for us. God, that you are the one who made the first move that we might have peace with you. And God, I pray we would take up that heart, that we would be people that even though we might have enemies, that we would make the first move just as Jesus did. God, I pray you would give us courage to put away our pride, to put away our fear, and to trust you. God, that we would wholeheartedly believe that it is more rewarding and more maturing to try to resolve that conflict than to dissolve that relationship. So God, I pray for any difficult relationship that that is being experienced in this room or outside this room. God, we pray for your grace to fall upon that relationship. God, we pray for understanding. We pray against gossip. We pray about assumptions. We pray against unhelpful language and words and thoughts and emotions. And God, I pray that grace would flow. I pray that reconciliation would happen. And God, I thank you that you are at work in our lives. And God, that you love us. And God, that you know us. And so we give our hearts once again to you. In Jesus' name, amen.